I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 1. I mentioned a moment ago 4,000 languages without a verse of Scripture. Uh, so many people today in the world without a gospel witness. Our young people, our children's choir, sang a song not too long ago. Uh, Six billion reasons to tell the world about my Lord. Actually, as we sit here this morning, the number of people in the world is 7.9 billion and climbing. By the time that we leave here today, several hundred thousand or even maybe several million more people will have been added to this world's population. And it's ever growing, ever uh, increasing. And yet at the same rate or nearly the same rate that people are being born into the world, many people are dying. And it's uh, a tragedy, the number of people that are going out into a Christless eternity because they don't have the gospel. They've never heard the truth. And meanwhile, and I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture, but a realistic picture today. Meanwhile, uh, as I see it, as I'm observing the, the need in the world and, and uh, watching what's happening, I personally know more missionaries that are coming off the field than are going to it. And I'm not criticizing them. I understand different life stages and God's leadership in their lives. But folks, I'm just saying the, the need in the world continues to grow. Our responsibility hasn't changed. And yet it seems that we're seeing attrition rather than growth in our response to the, the calling that we have. And so I want to turn your attention this morning to Philippians chapter 1. And if you're there and able, would you stand with me as we read simply one verse of scripture, verse number 27 of Philippians chapter 1. And Paul here speaking to the church at Philippi simply says to them this, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I want to look back at the beginning of that verse and just the first phrase, the first statement that's there, as it simply says this, that uh, only... Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of behavior that is becoming of the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the truth that we have received. Thank you for the gospel that has given us understanding of our sin, of the solution to our sin, Jesus Christ and his blood, of eternal life. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. But today, as we sit here, basking in the light, Lord, we sit in the midst of a world that is dying in the darkness. And may we today be reminded of our purpose, challenged to be involved, and Lord, united in the cause. Lord, work among us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Behavior that is becoming of the gospel. Maybe some of you uh, 
uh, remember when you were a kid, and, and it's not a phrase that we hear too often today, but I, I remember when I was a kid, I'd hear my, my grandparents sometimes say something like this. They'd maybe see a child that was acting up a little bit and say to them, that's not, that's not very becoming of you. Uh, whatever you're doing there, that's not very becoming. We don't use that term very much today, but the, the word becoming in that sense doesn't have to do with, with that which we will be, but it actually has to do with our behavior and whether that behavior is really worthy. Uh, we see this, this word here. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The idea there is that it would be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That the things that take place, again speaking to the church in Philippi, that the things that would take place in that church would be worthy of the gospel. We actually find this same word translated worthy in another place in scripture when, uh, when in the book of Ephesians they're admonished to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they are called. That's what this is talking about. He says, I, I want you to live in such a way that lives up to the standard of the gospel. Why? Well, because we need to understand that our very purpose as a church, our very existence is all about the gospel. That's why we exist. You see, sometimes we treat church as though it's just a, a place where we come and are fed and grow and are challenged, and it is that, and it ought to be that. You ought to be able to come to church and, and be fed the Word of God and be confronted with the Word of God and, and challenged to live up to God's particular standard in your life. And, and we, we often think of that as, as being the purpose. I'm coming to church so that I can be fed, so that I can grow, and that's a good thing. But I want you to know that's really not the reason that we exist as a church. It is one of the functions of a church, certainly. And sometimes we treat a church as though it's, it, it's just a place of fellowship and it's a place of family. And folks, I want to say to you that a good uh, a scriptural church ought to be a place of fellowship and family. We are uh, understandably a body in Christ and the Bible says that, that it's, not, it's not us, it's not the people, the individuals who have decided to put themselves within the body, but 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that God sets the members in the body as it has pleased him. And so we understand that we are a group of people that God has assembled. He has brought us together. He, he, he's connected us in a way where uh, that honestly gives us bonds in Christ beyond even that which earthly relationships, family relationships could ever be. I come from a, a wonderful family, a, a loving family. I, I grew up in a, a home where mom and dad were both there and present and they showed us their love and they modeled love before us. I, I grew up in a Christian home, a, a place where we were taught the Bible and a place where we were brought to church and raised in the, the things of God. I thank God for all of those things. But I want you to know that some of the people that are closest to me in this world, even though I have a great family who I love dearly and are, I'm very close to them, some of the people that are closest to me in this world are not of blood relation, but they are of relation in Christ. They are brothers and sisters, and we have a bond in Christ that goes beyond even sometimes the, 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 the physical bonds of family. We are a family in Christ. However, we don't exist primarily for the purpose of fellowship either. 
The church really doesn't exist as a social club where we just come together and enjoy one another's company. I'm thankful for relationships and fellowship that we have that God has provided to us. That is a byproduct, however, of our purpose. You see, the purpose for which the Lord created the institution of the church is that the gospel could be proclaimed to the world. I want you to realize that all throughout Jesus' ministry, his focus was on a church. You say, that's kind of strange. I mean, wasn't he preaching to multitudes? Yes, he preached to multitudes. He was healing the sick and, and, and opening blind eyes. And he was ministering to the poor. And he was, he, he was showing compassion and love. But his investment was primarily in 12 men. 12 men that had been called out for a purpose. In fact, when he called them, the Bible specifically says in Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 that he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. In other words, this assembly that he had focused time and effort and, and, and investment in had a purpose and the purpose was that they would carry the gospel to the world. Jesus then went throughout his ministry and there he accomplished on the cross the very purpose for which he came to die and shed his blood for the sins of mankind. And on that cross he paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin that we could be forgiven, that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. And he poured out his blood not for his own sins but for mine and for yours. He died there that I could be forgiven. And then three days later, he rose again, overcoming the very penalty of sin, which is death. And through his life, he offers to us eternal life. Whoever will turn from their sin and from themselves and turn to Jesus and place their faith in him, he offers us eternal life, a home in heaven. And he told his disciples before he left, I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I'm thankful for the hope of heaven, that when I die, I'm not just going to a place of golden streets and mansions and blessings and all of those things. I'm going to the very place of the presence of my Lord and Savior, that where he is, there I will be too. And that is the glory of heaven. I'm awaiting that day. But folks, I hope you understand that even after Christ rose from the dead, he walked among his disciples there, his church, for about 40 days. And just before he ascended into heaven, on several different occasions, he gave them commandment of what they were to do. They had questions about what the future would hold. They had questions about their life and their death. They had questions about the kingdom of Israel and, and when it would be restored. And what did he say? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which my father hath put in his own power. But he said, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Before he left, he pulled his church aside and he said to them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and, and, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He said, uh, uh, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel 
to every creature. And folks, I want to tell you something, that the very purpose and the existence of a scriptural New Testament church, it's not just for fellowship, and it's not just for teaching and preaching. It is that we might be equipped to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. That's why we exist as a church. Mount Zion Baptist Church has been in existence now for 115 years. Since 1907, God chose to put a light here in St. Clair. And I'm thankful for all that he's done through the years. But folks, I want to say to you that the, the, the reason we exist today is no different than when we started all those years ago. We are here that we might carry the gospel to the world. And can I ask you today, how do you think we're doing in that regard? How are we doing as the world is literally dying in their sin? How are we doing in accomplishing the purpose for which God has ordained this institution to exist? And I'm going to say some things this morning that, are, that may even come across and sound a little bit harsh. But I don't believe that they are in light of the scriptures. And as lovingly as I can, let me say to you that any church that is not actively involved in proclaiming the gospel to its community and seeking to bring the gospel to the world has no right to exist. We don't have a right to be here apart from our purpose for which we have been given to bring the gospel to the world. Wow, that's kind of a, a crazy statement, right? What about showing love and compassion and spreading joy? And Listen, those are all fine things, but, but our purpose is that we would bring the gospel to the world. How are we doing? Paul is talking to this church at Philippi, ironically, from a prison cell. He's writing to them as, as a prisoner. He, he speaks of himself being bound. And he's talking about, to them about the fact that he's really would rather just go home and be with the Lord. But he says, you know, I'm, I'm here and God's got a purpose for me while I'm here. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. He said, I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with the Lord, but... Uh, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And, and, and he's talking about how he intends to come to them. He believes that he's going to be delivered and set free so that he can come and visibly be there with him. But here's what he says. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. The primary and paramount concern of your church must be that your behavior is becoming of the gospel, that it's worthy of the gospel, that you are consumed with your purpose, that you are consumed with the responsibility and the task at hand. Make sure that everything you do revolves around the gospel. I want you to notice a few things that he points out about that. First of all, he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that, notice this, ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Folks, can I say to you that one of the greatest enemies to the gospel in our churches today is disunity among God's people. Satan doesn't want us to accomplish what God's given us to do. And he recognizes and realizes the strength that we have. 
when we are united in Christ and walking together. And can I say to you today that Satan is actively working at all times to cause division and separation among God's people that we might be more focused on our differences than we are on the gospel. He says behavior that is becoming of the gospel is single-mindedness. That you would stand fast. And by the way, this is a common theme throughout the book of Philippians. Look at verse number 1. He says, if there be therefore, of chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Does it stand to reason to you that in a church of any size, there are going to be differences? We're going to have differences of opinion. We're not going to see eye to eye on everything. We're not going to be in agreement on everything. But that does not mean that we can't be of one mind. That we can't be of one accord. Listen, folks, we are united in truth. We're united in Christ. We're united in the gospel. We're united in doctrine. How sad it is to see churches dividing and, 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 and people not being on the same page over simple, petty differences in personality or opinions. I mean, we've all heard the old adage, you know, the church split over the, uh, the color of the carpet. We kind of joke about that, but the reality is churches have split over things of that nature. What color the carpet's going to be? Are we going to have chairs or are we going to have pews? Uh, you know, what, uh, are we going to have our midweek service on Wednesday or on Thursday? Or I mean, whatever the case might be, there's all these little issues. And I, I just want to say to you folks that, that these little things that kind of get in the way sometimes of interpersonal relationships are distractions from the primary purpose of the gospel. And may it never be said of Mount Zion Baptist Church that we quarreled and quibbled about little issues and missed the big picture. The reason that we are here is to work together to get the gospel to the world. Go over to chapter 4 of Philippians here. And I want you to notice he says in verse number 1, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And then notice he says this, I beseech Iodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now what in the world was going on there? I have no idea. I don't know who Iodius was. I don't know who Syntyche was. Here's what I do know. They had a problem. They had a difference. They disagreed on something. Well, who was right and who was wrong? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here's what he says. I'm beseeching you that you be of the same mind in the Lord. Be united. Be of one accord. Get along with one another. Why? So that you can do what you're supposed to do. That your behavior would be becoming of the gospel. I have seen relationships torn apart by misunderstandings, 
by something that someone said, by a slight difference in this or that. And folks, you understand, I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not saying that, that we've got to, you know, uh, just let everything slide and let everything go because, you know, it, it, all that matters is what we agree on. It doesn't matter what we disagree. I'm not saying that. Truth is important. I believe that as a church, we need to stand fast. We need to be vigilant to make sure that our doctrine doesn't change, our standards don't change. We want, to stay, we want to stay where God wants us to be. But folks, let us not ever be divisive. Let us never allow Satan to get an advantage because we're just not willing to be of one mind and one spirit in the Lord. He says here in verse 27 again of chapter 1, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast with one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Okay, our purpose is that the gospel would go forth. That's why we exist. And I think to that, everyone in this room would say, Amen. Mount Zion Baptist Church exists so that the gospel would go forth. And I asked the question a moment ago, how are we doing? How is our church doing? And I think all of us could say that we have some room for growth in that area, don't we? We have some room to, to grow in, in our, our local outreach and our ability to engage our community and, and, and really connect with them and give them the gospel. We have room for growth in that. And when it comes to world missions and looking beyond our borders and, and, and seeing the need in the world there, we support missionaries. We got some great missionaries we support. And, and this church has done some things over the years in that way in terms of sending missionaries and, and all of that. But would you agree with me that we have some room for growth? when it comes to how well we're doing in reaching the lost of this world, I'm just saying, I really am praying and asking the Lord to raise up from among us those who would say yes to the Lord. Yes, there's a harvest field out there that needs the gospel, and I'm willing to set aside some of the things that have mattered to me in this life and maybe set aside a job and some of pursuing some of the dreams that I've had in my life, and I'm going to go and, and, and reach the lost of this world. I, I'm praying that God will do that. But you know what else I'm praying? I'm praying that, the God would put on, that God would put that on the hearts of the rest of us, that even those who are not necessarily called to go and give their life in a foreign place somewhere, that we would all say, you know what, this is our responsibility, and we have to do something to reach the world, and that we would engage ourselves in that. We've got room for growth as a church, but I want you to consider this with me. If the church's purpose is to proclaim the gospel, that, that's wonderful to recognize and accept that. But you understand that the church is made up of individuals. It's not just a high-level thing of, oh yeah, our church needs to do this. If the church is commissioned and commanded and you are a part of this body, that means you are commissioned and you are commanded to be about the gospel. It's not just the responsibility of the missionaries that we have on the walls. It's not just the responsibility of the pastor or, or staff members to be involved in getting the gospel out. It's your responsibility. 
the failure today in modern missions in America, it's not just a general failure. Oh yeah, we have failed. We need to acknowledge and say, I have failed. I have not done what I could do. I have not been involved as I should. And all of us can say that. All of us. Notice he says that we would strive together for the faith of the gospel. Not strive against each other. Strive together. You know what that implies? It implies that there's some work involved in this. There's labor. There's something you're going to have to do. I was cautioned when I, uh, I, I bought a house, it was a fixer-upper, on some land out in the country. I was cautioned, you're going to be put, putting in a lot of work. And I accepted the challenge. I accepted the responsibility. And you know what? They were right. There's a lot of work. But you know what? When you joined this church, you accepted the responsibility of the work of the gospel. And you, just like me, you need to be involved. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And it is work, friend. It's work. It's not just to sit back and drop a check in the offering and say, I've done my part. It's going to take work. It's, it's going to take some real effort and intention in prayer. It's going to take a willingness to step outside of your comfort zone and cross the street and meet with a neighbor and tell them of Christ. It's going to take some effort for you to sit down with a co-worker and give them the gospel. It's going to take some sacrifice on your part to, to, to maybe take some time off of work and go and visit a foreign field and, and bring the gospel to them and be involved in the work in that place. It's going to take some labor. Jesus said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Are you and I willing to take upon ourselves that responsibility and say, yes, I will go. I'll go. I was in a church maybe a year ago that, and I'm not in any way comparing, this is not a comparison. I was in a church that I was preaching in that Sunday morning before Sunday school, they had a, uh, a prayer meeting uh, with, they had a men's prayer meeting. I think they had a ladies one. I was, of course, in the men's one. That's kind of the way I roll. But uh, in this men's prayer meeting, there were, I don't, I don't remember the number, 15 guys, 20 maybe. And as before the prayer time, we're sharing prayer requests and I, I maybe recall two or three requests that were made for, you know, physical needs, health issues. And, and I, the Bible talks about praying for one another, that we would be healed and all of that. I, I believe in that. But the vast majority of the prayer was this. Would you pray for me this afternoon because I have a Bible study with a guy that I've been trying to witness to for several years. 
oh, and would you pray for me and my wife tomorrow? We met this couple in Walmart on Friday night, and, and we started talking to them about Christ, and we invited them to come over to our house tomorrow night and have dinner with us, and we're just praying that the Lord will give us an opportunity to witness with them or at least start a Bible study with them. And, oh, would you pray for me as I've, I've been, uh, had this opportunity to witness to my coworker here. And, and it was just one after another after another that I, I was just kind of taken aback. You know, within this church, there is a, 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 an understanding and even a culture of personal responsibility in the gospel. Folks, we need that. You need that. I need that. We've got to get away from this mentality that as long as the church is doing something, that I don't have to do it. No, we're a body. And if the body's called to do something, it's all hands on deck, folks. It's time. It's time for you and for me to start taking it personally. To say, you know what? God's called us. We must go. Why? Because there is a world of people that don't know Christ. People that are lost and dying and on their way to hell. But even more important than that, there is a world that has never heard of my Savior. Listen, there is a... For a long time, the... Moravians had a kind of a motto. The motto came from a couple of young men who had heard of a, a group of slaves on an island somewhere that had no outside influence whatsoever. They weren't allowed to have contact with the outside world. The slave owner wouldn't allow anyone near them. And these two young men began to be burdened <clears throat> that someone needed to go to them and preach the gospel to them. And the only way that they could go and reach these people was for them to become slaves themselves. And they sold themselves into slavery. They took the money that they made in the sale of selling themselves. They actually had to pay their own fare going over there. That was what they used the money for. And as they were about to leave... And the ship was pushing away from the dock. All the family recognizing and realizing that this is the last time they were going to see him this side of heaven. They're saying their goodbyes and the last words ever heard from these two young men was simply this. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. You know what, they weren't going there simply because they had compassion on these people. They were going because there was a God who was worthy to be proclaimed. And folks, if we will understand what we have been given, the great message that has been entrusted to us, that there is a world out there who has never heard, and yes, they are lost and they are dying and they are on their way to hell, and we ought to have compassion toward them. But friend, just as important is the fact that we have a God that is worthy to have his name proclaimed. He's given us that job, you as well as me.
as well as our missionaries. We all have this calling. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Is our behavior becoming of the gospel?